Hi, this is David Key. At Quo, we've worked for the last 20 years with many of the world's best-known travel brands. During this unprecedented global crisis, our world of travel has changed, possibly irreversibly. This series will see us speak with many global leaders to understand how they see the future of travel. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, Vivek Wadwa, um, distinguished fellow from Harvard Law School to Quo's The Future of Travel. Vivek, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us. David, it's great to be on with you. Thank you so much. Vivek, where are we in the crisis? Are we at the beginning? Are we in the middle? How great is the economic crisis going to be as a function of, of the pandemic? I think we're about halfway through it, that uh, the next few months we will have vaccines and uh, we will come to grips with this and uh, things will start being more normal again. But uh, we have fast forwarded to the future. We've said it's like in a time warp from a technology point of view, we've moved you know, forward five years, maybe even 10 years on some fronts. What does that, what does that mean? What does that mean for the, for the travel industry? What does that mean economically for um, the travel industry? You know, for example, over the last uh, two or three months, I've had access to more CEOs than I had in the year before that. Simply that, I, you know, you can now simply send them, uh, you know, links to Skype or Zoom or whatever, and you can talk to them. They're home by themselves, and you have quality, quality time. You don't have middlemen, you know, trying to lock you out or control the discussion. So I don't see myself having to travel uh, to, you know, coach CEOs anymore. I, I, can, I can get access to them much more easily. It's better for them because they're relaxed. They can do this on the, you know, the luxury of their homes from, from you know, the beach if they want to. So we're sort of all used to now talking to each other uh, in this way. So business travel, yeah, yes, we will still have some conferences. We'll still have some business meetings, but a lot of it, maybe a third of it, uh, will stay this way forever. And eventually, uh, when the next generation of technologies happen, it'll change and by another third. So which means the travel industry has to realize that everything has changed now. They better start learning about what happened and not being in denial and taking advantage of the change. I have a new book coming out in September, the end of September, titled From Incremental to Exponential, How Companies That Can See the Future Can Own It. It essentially talks about major disruptions and you know, how you have to figure out what is going to happen and leap forward and, and take advantage of them. So, you know, the message to your uh, listeners is that if you can simply accept the changes happening, understand the change, and then start planning for it and start leaping ahead, you win. It's not lose-lose it's not that you could be the winner over here if you figure it out. But the, the substantial, I mean, if, you know, even if I can't work out the numbers because they're too great, but the, the, the change of even a third of business travel or we're reducing business travel alone by a third, meetings by a third, the infrastructure of hotels, the architecture of hotels, the infrastructure of airlines, the infrastructure of the travel industry as a whole. It's, it, that's, it's seismic change, if nothing less. You're not kidding. It, it is a seismic change. But on the other hand, think of what now becomes possible, that uh, we can... Uh, 
now uh, be living in uh, exotic locations. I mean, the CEOs that I talked about who I wanted to meet, they can be, uh, you know, running their business from Tahiti, from uh, anywhere in the world, literally. They can be where they where it's fun and be connected via teleconference so that other opportunities open up. Um, you know, you now have more people who have more time on their hands and who now want to travel to nice locations and uh, nicer resorts. So uh, there's a shift happening there. It's not clear exactly how it's going to be, but there is a shift. And we have to recognize that this change has happened. Right. But do you think that, I mean, the, the, the amount of millions of, of, of business, particularly, we'll come on to leisure shortly, but when we think about business travel, the human impact of not being face-to-face, the human impact of not understanding that nuance in a meeting, that, um, that desire to socialize, that, 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 that critical part of, of, the, business ex- of, of the, tr- the business travel experience, of the business travel experience, to reduce that by, by so much, uh, is that what people really want? David, I didn't say they would uh, all disappear. I mean, you know, team building uh, meetings, the stuff that you're talking about, those still happen. The conferences where you network with people, those will still happen. However, a lot of these one-to-one business meetings, you don't need to uh, travel for them. Even a lot of the sales meetings, you can do it this way. It's a lot more effective. Both sides save time and they get, you know, I'm, I'm telling you that the meetings I've had with some CEOs, um, they've been a lot more friendly and a lot more relaxed uh, than the person-to-person meetings because there's so much stress in traveling to another city, another country to meet someone. And then you get a few minutes with them or you know, you, uh, the schedule messes up or one side isn't well. After having all that travel, you now uh, don't get to meet the person. This way, if, you know, if, if, uh, if something changes, you, you don't mind uh, telling people that, hey, uh, let's just reschedule for this time, same time tomorrow. It's right. less stressful. Right. So this, you know, one-to-one uh, type of meeting, uh, a lot of them can be done more effectively through, uh, uh, you know, this new uh, video conferencing technology. And do you think that will improve, um, that will have an impact, uh, an economic impact on people's businesses? I mean, you were saying before we came online that, you know, you're, you're talking about different techno- technology enhancements in different in robotics or, or whatever it is in different industries. This facilitation, this, this improvement, I mean, simply of time. I mean, the amount of time that one saves by not going somewhere. But does... It improves productivity, it reduces costs, it increases efficiency. So it's, it's a good thing. This is what I'm saying. We moved into the future. That, uh, you know, six months ago, we wouldn't have even thought of, of having meetings with, you know, with the people we meet right now, or even our family members on um, uh, you know, uh, these video conferencing tools, on whether it be Zoom, whether it be Skype or, or Google Meet or whatever. I mean, we would not even have thought of it. Now it's the norm. We have to do it. So now we're getting used to it. You know, grandma mean, mean, meets junior via, via uh, FaceTime now. So uh, that's become norm. And do you think, <clears throat> and do you th- what other positives are we getting out of this? I mean, just in terms of human relationships above and, and as, as, as well as business relationships. Well, the, the, we save time and money uh, from a business perspective. The, it's, it's not a positive. I mean, I love meeting people. I love going to fancy resorts. You know, I'm also a speaker. I, you know, um, for a typical talk, I get thirty-five to $50,000 for a talk. I, and all these business meetings, I used to benefit from it big time. 
So now they've all dried up. I had six engagements canceled, uh, uh, you know, over the last uh, three or four months. And my calendar is virtually empty from speaking engagements. So I lost out big time on a big chunk of revenue, right? So this is not a good thing. Do you see that being replaced by online, on, online conferencing, online speaking? Yeah, the speakers bureaus I work with, they're all prepping up for it. They're now all setting up the online things. Uh, see, right now, the industry is in a state of shock, so they haven't figured out what they're doing yet. But they're now preparing for online formats, for being able to do you know, shorter clips, for being able to do different types of conferences. A lot of the big companies in the, in the tech industry, you know, including Microsoft, they figured out that they could do a lot more effective conferences online. And in fact, they would get as many as 10 times more uh, participants because of the way they were new doing the, the format. So therefore, the speaking fees, the fees, fees I'm being offered now for the same types of talks that we did before are about, you know, $5,000, instead of, you know, $50,000. So. Right, but you can do five of those in a day. I can do without five of those in a day. Without having mind. to travel. Yeah, exactly. Now, David, I got to tell you, honestly, I used to love to travel. I mean, I love going to exotic locations. But you sort of, so now I'll just do that, do that for vacation. But, but it's a lot easier. There's no stress here. Right. But it, 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 it is, I mean, I, uh, and I don't want to dwell too much on conferencing, although I think it is relevant. We believe, and I've been involved in, in several discussions over the last few months, on the evolution, particularly in the travel industry, of the way that it meets. And the need in particular, and again, the human need to belong and to meet, that, that need to, to, to be a part of a greater whole, to be a part of a, a, what we're calling some sort of, some sort of a club. Um, can that be replaced online? Well, let's talk about virtual reality, the next revolution. Okay. So, um, uh, you know, uh, right now, the VR headsets are big and clunky and pathetic, right? But if you go back five years, the video conferencing technologies were slow and clunky and pathetic. We couldn't have done what we're doing. Right now, I'm just over a regular internet connection and I'm able to see you and talk to you, even though you're recording this thing. We have a very high quality uh, you know, connection between our computers. So the technology evolved. So move forward, you know, the way technologies advance exponentially, move forward three or four years. Yeah, you know, you and I are both wearing eyeglasses. Well, imagine those eyeglasses turning dark and, and you know, where the, uh, um, uh, you know, you have, your, have your, the ears, you have a microphone. And suddenly now it's taking you to a three-dimensional holographic world. Imagine us being able to have this meeting in Tahiti. Why not go to Tahiti or let's meet on Mars for that matter. And now we're able to, you know, see each other. We're able to hear each other. And it's a completely different experience. Well, that is, you know, this technology will be ready for the next pandemic. So um, um, it will be able to have much better one-on-one -on -one, uh, types of things and move forward another three or four years. You'll essentially have, you know, clothing you wear that makes you feel like you're there. I mean, I don't want to talk about sex over here, but imagine, uh, no, you know, but uh, devices. People like to talk about sex. <laughs> I know, but imagine devices that let you enjoy the pleasures of uh, being with someone. Uh, you know, all holographically. This is stuff out of science fiction, the Star Trek stuff, the holodecks. Those things are probably five or ten years away. And, but the, the and, and, and I, I know I, I sound like um, a Luddite when I say this, which, which uh, echoes the words of my brother, but 
as a Luddite or as, as, as an, and particularly in an industry, the travel and the hospitality industry, which, which is unfortunately somewhat still something of a dinosaur. What will that mean to the, the experience of guests? Will they appreciate a real human to human experience when in the rarer times that they have it, will they crave it? Well, this is, again, gets into science fiction. I mean, in the short term, this is not going to happen. In the long term, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you, you go and watch the, the you know, Star Trek, uh, the latest series in which they had holodecks. People lived in these dimensional worlds and it felt like it was real. That's what virtual reality is going to make us feel like. Virtual reality, along with the body suits and, you know, some of these new technologies that will be developed over the next decade or so, that they're going to change the experience. And where does it take us? I have no idea. Because, uh, you know, like social media was supposed to have done all this good, yet social media is ripping societies apart because suddenly you had, you know, tech companies that got greedy and started taking advantage of it and started doing evil to make money, right? So the technologies could be hijacked and go off track again. So we don't know, but, uh, but the, a lot of stuff becomes possible. In the short term, what your, uh, uh, you know, listeners have to realize is that now one fundamental change has happened that um, we're meeting each other virtually, and this is going to have an impact on the industry. And they have to figure out how they're going to change that. So it may be as simple as outfitting the conference rooms with large screens so that some people show up over there, other people are, are there uh, you know, virtually. So you have to now accommodate that. So you can have entire walls filled with screens on which you have video conferencing. Imagine now if they could start offering that to companies. So those are people that need to be one-on-one they show up there, the other people are virtual, and that becomes a big selling point. You know, that's, so the ones that offer it, they can charge uh, more and they'll have their rooms filled versus the ones that don't offer it. I mean, there are things like that. You have to figure out you know, what the needs of your customers are and, and anticipate it. Right, right. And, and how much do you feel, <clears throat> I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that um, to dim- it, it's a dimensionalizing of the industry. The, the challenge, of course, is, 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 is as I've said, it it's kind of still rests in the, the, the industry still rests in the past, but the, or the operators and the owners that, um, the, the, that embrace this technology and that embrace this change and take those risks are the ones that are going to succeed. In what other industries, I mean, if you you obviously work across many different industries. Which industries do you see that, that have come out of these dark ages, come out of the, the middle age, the, the medieval times that, 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 that pretty much were in place for, for a long time, pre, obviously pre the virus, but pre-technology? Who's come out the best and how? You know, I'm going to uh, you know, recommend my book again, this book that, uh, that I have. It, it, it talks about the changes. It talks about how companies can react. It, it talks about new methods of innovation and it has examples of companies that reinvented themselves. I used to believe, you know, Andrew and I, uh, we, we had a, a discussion a few years ago in which basically I was declaring that, le- that legacy companies can't reinvent themselves. And my book says legacy companies can reinvent themselves because I've seen examples of it. You know, take Microsoft, Microsoft, okay? Microsoft was the most valuable of all tech companies that rivals Apple. Microsoft was a dead dinosaur, you know, five or seven years ago. It came back and reinvented itself because it started realizing all the changes. You had a visionary CEO who took the drastic moves and changed it. Uh, take, you know, another company, go to the utility industry. 
um, NextEra is another example. NextEra is a, the, uh, the, uh, the, the utility company of uh, Florida. Um, they are the most valuable of all utility companies in, in the world right now because they realize that, that the legacy sources of energy, fossil fuels, are going to crash and burn. And whereas clean energy, solar and wind in particular, are going to now be the future. So they bet on the future. And now, you know, uh, their CEO, Jim Robo, who I featured in the book, he, he expects that uh, uh, these solar energies are going to be cheaper than nuclear in the next three or four years. The, the existing nuclear power plants, they're going to be costlier than the new solar. So he anticipated he moved forward. Now look at uh, you know, the retail industry, Walmart. Walmart was another pathetic company that uh, we thought was from the past. Walmart is now announcing their prime-like uh, thing, and they're going to take on Amazon. Walmart's doing extremely well. In this uh, pandemic, they came out ahead because they you know, brought in new leadership, and, and they started rethinking everything and anticipating the future, and they moved their company forward and, and became a big success story. I mean, these are the type of you know, things you have to do in the, in the travel industry. You're going to find a few of uh, the companies uh, listen to us because I know you and I are in the same thing, and so is Andrew. They're going to listen to us, and they're going to start moving forward. They're going to start anticipating what the needs of the, the customers are, and they're going to double, triple their valuations. They're going to grow their companies like, you know, um, like none other, while a bunch of your listeners who say, no, 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 it's going to go back. We're going to be fine. They're going to be bankrupt. That's how it goes. It, it, it is fascinating. And, and, and the greater the risk, the companies that take the greater the risk, the, obviously the, 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 the associated success. How, in an evolving, with such, with technology evolving so fast, and, you know, today we, we're talking about augmented or virtual reality, tomorrow we're talking about robotics. How does a company make, those, make that decision as to, into into the investment, especially at a time where, you know, especially in the travel industry, where where cash is is virtually zero, and they can only make one investment, or they can only they don't dare to make that great change. Yeah, this, again, this is what my my book is about. Uh, but um, in a nutshell, you first of all you have to understand what the change is. You have to understand the technology. You have to understand how technologies converge and disrupt industries. And then you have to look at new methods of innovation. You know, very simply, uh, uh, you know, one, one exercise they can do right now is that they can write down what their top priorities are for the company, send it to all the employees, and come up with the most difficult challenges that they have. Ask the employees to give them ideas for what they could do that will give their company an advantage. They'll be surprised at the types of you know, brilliant insights they get from employees because the employees are close to the customer. They're not. I mean, these... The CEOs, the executives, they sit in the ivory towers and they cut off from reality. The employees who are on the front lines see their customers, they talk to them, and they, and they, and they understand what's going on there. Ask them for ideas. You know, it's, uh, this is what we do in Silicon Valley. We uh, exchange ideas all the time. It's a giant ideas factory. And you bet on uh, some of these things. And then you, what you do is you bet on a few of these startups. You let a thousand flowers bloom. You, try, you don't bet your entire firm on it. You try small experiments. You know, uh, so, I mean, and, and then you build platform. There are a whole bunch of things that you can do to, um, uh, uh, you know, to innovate and so on. It, does, it doesn't all have to be costly. A lot of it is inexpensive. It's trial and error, experimentation, 
empowering your, your employees and, and, you know, just being open to change. It starts from the top. You, okay. Your company yeah, you know, can never uh, uh, transform itself from the middle or from the bottom. It's always the CEO that's the problem. It's the CEO, the owner that has to realize the change is necessary. And he or she has to figure out that uh, they're going to have to provide the, provide the leadership and shake up their employees and, and, and incentivize them and motivate them to take the risks and to try the experiments. Uh, Vivek, the, the, one, of the, um, one of the initiatives we're seeing with, uh, with um, some large conglomerates, particularly in the travel industry, is that they've created shadow boards, um, a, a system where uh, Generation Zs and millennials sit in each of the board positions um, and re- sit, sit as a board um, mirroring uh, each board position and providing advice to, providing advice to, to, the, to the CEO. And one of the things that I, I've realized even running my own business is how much I don't know. While I, I can be an inspirational leader and I, I can still drive perhaps the reputation of our company, the more we realize in our generation that we don't know, perhaps the more successful we can be. You know, it isn't a generational thing that uh, you'll find that getting input from different parts of the company, whether it be marketing, finance, or customer support, getting parts uh, from getting people from different parts of the company together on its own is where you have uh, the uh, you know the breakthrough ideas. Young and old is not the issue here because the young uh, you know, don't know what can't be done, so they're open to new ideas and they try different things. The old have experience. So um, you need to have both working together. I would not have a bunch of kids telling me what to do. I'd have a diverse team of people telling me what to do. Men and women, you know, different backgrounds, and listen to them like you never listened to other people before. Let me... Um... Uh, we've only got a few minutes. We, I, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about technology and we've talked about everything, uh, everything around it. In terms of the tourism industry and, and augmented reality, how much do you think uh, in terms of safety and perception of safe, safety, AR can play a part? Um, it's a, you know, what happens when you're in, in virtual reality is it's all fiction. So nothing can harm you, but it can have a psychological impact if the technology is, uh, you know, not used properly. So there are dangers even in virtual reality. Nothing is ever safe. But physically, if you're sitting at your machine and you got a headset on, you probably won't get killed. Hopefully that's likely to be true. Um, well, I mean, in Star Trek, there were people who, who died in the holodecks, but that's a different story. We're not there yet. Right, right. But do you think that the uh, travel industry as a whole, particularly for aviation, I mean, aviation, they're now talking about the virus being um, airborne and, and all of these things. Can they react more quickly through augmented reality to um, impart their message to their consumers? You know, uh, AR, VR aren't far enough for this pandemic to worry about. Okay. Right. What they, what they have to realize is the technology is changing very fast because, they, you know, the way uh, this, uh, things are going, there will be more pandemics. China is rampantly experimenting with uh, gene editing, and there will be some, you know, negative consequences from that. So there could be another pandemic before you know it, but that's probably two or three years away. So in that two or three year period, thing will, things will change. I wouldn't worry about AR, VR right now. I would worry about the damage that this pandemic has done and the changes that it has caused and see you know, how 
um, uh, you know, the businesses can leverage the changes and be ahead of the curve and, and now offer better products to their customers, which are in uh, line with their new expectations and their new needs. And do you, do you see, let's say even technology, whether it's AR, VR, or, or robotics or whatever it is, impacting in the short term the new working normal? I mean, apart from video conferencing, as we've talked about? In the short next two or three years, the answer is no. I don't see that much change. The next five or 10 years, I see dramatic changes because the robots have become more capable and they'll start doing a lot of the work. In the, in the travel industry, you'll find that you know, robots can, can do a lot of the cleaning up. They can do a, a lot of the maintenance. They can uh, uh, you know, even serve food and stuff like that. So, so those things are going to become um, more prevalent. But that's still in the next five-year time frame versus the next two-year time frame. And in terms of things like check-in and check-out and, and all of these Yeah, things. Those, those things are simple. I mean, you know, right now, even if you had automatic check-in, people wouldn't like it and we're not ready for that. So, um, but if you had a couple of automated check-in counters and you had people as well, that's fairly acceptable. That's so it. we're in this transition period right now. Um, it's the same thing as this you know, audio video conferencing was before. Now, because we were forced to use it, suddenly it's become acceptable. The robots and the automatic check-in haven't become, you know, mandatory yet. But they will. Your next pandemic, when the technologies are better, and when, when we're more used to it, then uh, the robots will be doing a lot of the day-to-day -day work. The and delivery so, drivers are going to be the robots. And then I have to ask a question that, that is my last, that is, um, that is nothing, well, as a, fu as a function of technology, I mean, we talk about particularly... In the hospitality industry, in the hotel industry, this high human touch. That won't go away, you're saying? It won't go away for quite a while. I mean, uh, for the next decade or so, we still want the human beings. I mean, when people go on vacation, they're going to feel more, they're going to do it because they want to be with other human beings. They want to experience things themselves. So I would not, from the travel industry point of view, I wouldn't worry about that part being disrupted yet. Vivek Rodois, um, distinguished fellow from Harvard Law School and um, absolute uh, uh, visionary of, of uh, a visionary of light into the future. Thank you so much for being a part of the future of travel. Thank you, my friend, David. Thank you so much, Vivek. Take sure. care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.